So we're at Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. If you do not have uh, a paper, just let me know and I'll get some more made up. I think we passed them all out to be used. I'll have to get it for you next week. Yeah. Okay, I'll get you one. So I'm going to read through this these 14 verses. And I am going to ask a couple questions, see where we're at from last week. Everybody good? Great. Sure? Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't... I think you asked. I'm, well, just, you know, everybody's just real quiet. And, okay. Uh, just ready to study. Yeah, is that what it is? All right, here we go. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So anytime that somebody enters the building and fails to put in the security code I get a notification on my phone telling me that the alarm has been set off and then ADT calls me and asks if I want to send the cops and I have to make a decision whether or not I believe that some scoundrel or hooligan has ventured into our church or if it's just Carol (laughs) so last night my phone goes off and I thought, what's going on at the church? It's Saturday night at this time that somebody would need to get in. And all of a sudden, I get a text. Kevin Ham, I've set off the alarm. How do I get it to stop? <laughs> and so I pulled up my security thing, and I turned off the alarm. And he texts back, oh, I guess it stops on its own. <laughs> now, I was so tempted at that moment to turn it back on. But I didn't. And I said, do you not have a code? And he said, I have a key. And I said, so, you're in the wedding feast, but you're not dressed properly. (laughs) And he said, that's a good one. (laughs) And I said, before you leave church on Sunday, get a code from me. So he has a key, 
But he doesn't have what it takes to remain in the situation. So here's a question. Number one, what do we learn about a Jewish wedding between last Sunday and this Sunday that affects how we understand what's going on with this situation? All, all the guests are all robed the same. All the guests are robed the same? That's, that's because that way the, the poor don't feel like they're a lower level and the rich aren't are not to be snobbish towards the poor and it's kind of hard to tell what, if, if they're all dressed the same. Isn't that interesting? Any sort of caste system or any sort of uh, projected inferiority is completely covered up by the garments that everyone wears. They all wear the same one so they can all celebrate freely without fear of shame or any of that stuff. And they were provided. They were provided by the host of the wedding, by the king. So there isn't, it really isn't any reason that one man shouldn't have had a wedding garment on. There's not a good excuse, at least. At least he didn't have one. one of the, he would have known better than all of us, right? He was speechless. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Carol. One of the things that I read in my, the commentary I was reading was, and it's kind of an assumption, but he, he felt that his were sufficient for being in, mm-hmm. in the presence of the wedding party. Now here's the problem. You continue to read that commentary and they will equate the fact that this is somebody who thought they had salvation but they didn't really have salvation and so therefore they're in the lake of fire so is the that's a possible argument the question we have to ask ourselves is it right or wrong so the the garment that's provided is that salvation no tell me i don't know don't forget what's what's the subject What's the subject of this parable? He told them another parable saying, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the subject. Now we could go through, we could do a study on the kingdom of heaven and accumulate everything the New Testament has to say about the kingdom of heaven. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, does the kingdom of heaven equate salvation? Go to heaven when you die. No, because that's already established. Okay, so notice that. Jay said no because the salvation's already established. So that couldn't be what it's talking about. Now, stop for a minute. Who's the audience in hearing? The Pharisees. The Pharisees. Now, where do they fit in this parable, if at all? I mean, he, he wouldn't be just telling a random story out of nowhere unless it had some sort of association or application in what he's saying. The Pharisees are the ones who were the ones that didn't come to the wedding. They okay. Okay. Now here's a here's a good hermeneutics question to ask. Where are they in history when Jesus is giving this? What events haven't happened yet? Okay. So notice the crucifixion hasn't happened yet. His arrest hasn't happened yet. The trial hasn't happened yet. So we're still talking about the earthly life of Jesus. This isn't him teaching in the 40 days in between resurrection and ascension. You see what I'm saying? It's important that we put ourselves in a situation where we understand where are the speakers in the audience in time history. We need to know that because it affects how we interpret it. So notice, if he's dealing with that, this is what makes this whole idea of verses 8 and 9 so important. Remember, we talked about 
all of Jesus's teachings, especially the parables, have a have a have a uh, a, a curve, a turn. They turn on a point at something, you know. It's a U-turn or something like that to catch you off guard. It's it's a turning point. And you remember the big one that we dealt with concerning uh, the uh, outer darkness beforehand in Matthew eight was when Jesus turns to his Jewish followers and says to them, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. I tell you the truth. People will come from east and west, and they will dine at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. Now think about that, because what's he saying? Jews are going to miss out, by by and large, on this situation. Not all of them, but a lot of them are. But who's going to fill their place? Gentiles. How does that refer to 8 and 9 here? The wedding's ready. We're ready to go. But what's the problem? The Jews don't want to go. Okay, it's not just that they don't want to go. How does Jesus, notice that Jesus in this parable, the king, we'll just say the king in this parable. It's not Jesus. Jesus isn't the king. The king in this parable, Jesus is the one who's giving it though, he makes a moral declaration about these people. They're not what? Worthy. They're not worthy. You're not worthy to be there. But the people that were prior prior invited were the ones that were not worthy. Right. Which were who? If we try to interpret right now, we're going to conclude this is the Jews. I know. we got to watch ourselves. But when we ask the question, where do the Pharisees fall into this situation? The king has just declared their situation in verse 8. Not worthy. They're not worthy. And so what happens? Notice that. Boy, I I wish we could understand the deeply ingrained racist implications. I mean, Jesus is preaching emancipation at this point. It's making everybody real uncomfortable. Because what he's saying is, is, is these Jews who were high and mighty and lofty and we have this in with God and you don't understand Abraham's our father we have the law of Moses and all of these things that they would tout as the most important things he's saying you're going to find out that all that's going to run you directly into a brick wall because you missed the main thing and because you missed the main thing you are not going to have a place in the kingdom you're actually going to find out that some others are going to come and fill your seats the seats you could have had are going to be given to others and not just anybody the people who you deeply despise in society, the people who you hate, the people who in your Judaism have concluded that the only reason why God bothered to create him is to stoke the fires of hell. I mean, that's how they viewed Gentiles. They were dogs. Remember that one? You know, to give to the dogs is the idea. Um, very interesting. I mean, he's making a very... It's pretty controversial. He's, he's cutting across the grain of their thick racism is what he's doing. And it's very uncomfortable in the situation. But even though that's the cultural situation going on, we'd want to know what's the cultural context taking place here. Notice, notice that we still have to stay on the main thing. The main thing is those sons of the kingdom are cast into outer darkness. Go ahead. The uh, rabbis in ancient times figured a man that wasn't married wasn't a man. Mm-hmm. So they figured Christ wasn't a man because he was in his thirties and wasn't even married yet. Yes, it's the same. It's it's the same type of stigma they put upon a woman who hadn't had children yet. And that's the reason why they looked down on Elizabeth. You know, and that's why she said, my shame has been removed kind of idea. It's because they had all these cultural trappings that before God really didn't matter a hill of beans. 
That's what's interesting. It was religion. It was a cultural religion. Very odd. So now we go through this. And have I told you guys that I actually attended a wedding one time where they played this out and we didn't know it? I tell you guys, I was I was a groomsman in a wedding down in Florida one time. And while we were sitting there, we came in all lined up and you got to look all prim and proper. And man, it's Florida in the summer. It is hot. We're wearing these tuxedos. Right. And I'm standing next to this guy. Love this guy dearly. He, he committed suicide. He was such a great guy. Um, a, he was a dear, awesome brother in Christ. Uh, but he got real messed up on drugs. He got real paranoid and he killed himself. Um, but anyway, beautiful man. And we're sitting there and we're waiting for the, the bride to come in and the groom's up there. And all of a sudden the door in the back flings open. I mean, really loud. And this guy walks in with nothing but a Speedo and flip-flops on. And we're sitting there and I'm like, I'm like, I'm, well, I'm sitting, yeah, no, it's before it started. The bride hadn't come in yet. And I'm sitting here thinking in my mind, somebody should say something. Maybe I should say something. Did you say friend? My friend looked over and said, I ought to go back there and beat that guy's, you know, for coming in dressed like that. Does he know how disrespectful that is? So it's getting the reaction that it needed to get. And so all of a sudden, two guys came in from the side and rushed to the back and put him on the ground. And wrapped his wrists and wrapped his ankles together and picked him up and took him out the door and closed the door. And then the bride entered. And then the the minister started the wedding service by going through this parable and explaining it. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. For about five minutes there, it was manic. Okay? It was like... What is going on, you know? But I, no, no one knew. Only the bridegroom and minister knew, and the people that were involved in doing it. That's awesome. And all the guests were in the seats in the pews. Yeah. Oh. They had they had no clue, you know. Was it a believer's wedding? Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And this guy was kind of, you know, like, what's going on here? You know, everybody having a good time? You know, I mean, he was like being a little loud to draw attention to himself. So. It was very odd. So yeah, that was that was very interesting. So something you never forget, right? No, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget my friend's response. I thought I was going to have to like hold on to his shoulders and be like, just going. No. He was ready to fight. I mean, I could hear him like popping his knuckles while he was, you know, right over left in the whole deal. So what's that? You didn't know either. No, I had no clue. So you didn't want to go back there and smack anyone? I was sitting there debating. I was like, what am I doing? And I was sitting there thinking, well, I'm up front here. I'm part of the party. I can't just leave my post. What am I supposed to You know, maybe one of the ushers will say something. And all of a sudden, you know, two guys rushed in real quick and hogtied him and took him out. Did he, so, ask, did he ask where his seat was? No. No? No. They just took him out. They didn't have anybody come in and say, friend, where are your garments? They should have. That would have been neat. Yeah. But anyway. He didn't uh, say or groom site. <laughs> no, no, no. But man, he it was it was weird. Was he at the reception What's that? Was he at the reception? He was. Thank the Lord he put on some clothes. Um yeah, he was at the reception like that. So So notice, go into the streets, the main highways, whoever you find, invite them. The feast is ready to go. As many as you find, bring them in. Notice verse ten. 
Slaves went out into the streets, gathered together all they found, both evil and good. That's important to see there. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. Now here's, a, here's a, the new section here. When the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man who was not dressed in wedding clothes. Which is particularly insulting. Because the king supplied all the garments that you needed to celebrate. Okay, so that's, that's a major situation. Now what are some other things you found out about a wedding feast? Remember last week we talked about it last seven days? Right. What else do we see? We know from the wedding in Cana, everybody's having a good time, it right? Was, it was in autumn because their work was done. Okay. It was a cooler time to have a, uh, a wedding or a celebration. Okay. The entire village gathered at the wedding. Okay. The meat hadn't gotten kind of gone bad or cold. Yeah, <laughs> which is good. Good thing it's a parable and not really going on, right? But based on something that happened, I mean... Yeah, I mean, remember, Jesus... The wedding of that time. Right, but Jesus is telling this in story form because he wants to communicate something emphatic about this point. Okay? And our, our, our job as Bible students is to determine what exactly is Jesus getting at here. So, notice, there's a guy not wedding clothes. Verse 12, he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. He doesn't have a reason. There's not one if you've been given what to wear, right? <clears throat> so look what it says. And the king said to the servants, and remember, the servants are different from the slaves. Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, we have to deal with that last part. Again, I told you this when we wrapped up last week. I've had many conversations with Calvinists. If you don't know what a Calvinist is, praise God. A Calvinist <laughs> is someone who will say... God, before the world was ever created, only chose certain people that he would allow to go to heaven, that he would do a regenerating work in so that they could go, that it's not that one who hears the gospel and responds in faith, they have eternal life. It's that God pre-picks, and he pre-picks without any sort of discrimination on that person. They're the only ones that will go, and the people that he didn't pick will never have a chance to ever go to heaven. And they'll say, see, well, God actually calls many to salvation, but he only chooses a few. Amen. So is that is that what this is dealing with? Yeah. Sure, Matthew twenty two uh, fourteen doesn't further prove Calvinism. Within this context, what does this mean? Both evil and good are in the kingdom. Mm hmm. Well, let's break it down. Who was called? Many. 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 Who are the many? Gentiles. The Gentiles were eventually. Everybody at one point was called, weren't they? It's all ready. They've already been invited. Tell them it's time to come. Nah, I'm going to do this instead. Invited. Right. Invited. 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 They had other things to do. And by the way, we're going to murder the people that invited us. <laughs> or that called us to come to the feast. So then they turn everybody out into the highways. They find good or evil and they call them. And they, they fill up the hall. Okay? Many are called, but few are chosen. Who are the few that are chosen? Accepted the, call. the ones who responded to the invitation. The, now, the initial invitation? 
Because the wedding ended up being full either way, right? Well, here's the thing. We know that some people responded to the initial invitation. Because of other places, if we were to compare Scripture with Scripture, there will be many from east and west who will come to the table and will recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we know that their lives are worth studying if for no other reason that because of the way they responded to God merited entrance into the kingdom. So I love it because I've got furled eyebrows now. You guys are thinking or confused, and that's a good place to be. Say that again, what you just said about the... Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are mentioned as people who are going to be at the table. And there are going to be many people from east and west that come. Many people from the highways and from the streets, both good and evil, who are going to come in and fill up this hall and recline at the table with them. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are Jews. And they were initially invited. Exactly. They were initially invited, which means they responded to the call. They understood there was more at stake than, I just want to have a happy life now. Okay? So if that's the case, and then you're running into a situation here where the audience where Jesus is giving this teaching is amongst people who don't want anything to do with him and have actually plotted to kill him. Which sounds sadly familiar in verse 6. And so once that happens, the king brings in a militia to destroy their city and set it on fire. And he turns out to other people besides those who were initially invited and sends out a second invitation for a third time out. Does that make sense? So the first time, there were two times where people went out to get invited people. Were those Jews that were invited? Those were, those, it seems to be those were Jews. Yeah. But we got to be careful. We don't want to interpret too much. Carol said they were. Okay. Well. <laughs> I got it written on my paper. Okay, you got it written on your paper. Those are Jews. But then you go into everywhere, which seems familiar with what we saw in Matthew 8, yes? Right. From the east and the west, all over. And they're going to come. Notice how they match up together. So how many are called? Many are called. Everybody who hears the gospel is called. But only those who are chosen to be in on this wedding feast, and it's speaking particularly of the kingdom of heaven, those are the only ones that are going to be there, those who respond. Now I'm going to tell you a secret. My personal conviction about this is there's a lot of people that want to try to associate this wedding feast with the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oftentimes they do. I don't know that this warrants that. And here's the reason why. The marriage supper of the Lamb speaks to a very specific event in Scripture. Jesus is telling a parable about any wedding feast that could be happening at any time so that a lot of people get what he's saying. You see what I'm saying? This is, and this, that's the reason why I want you to look at some things about historically in the first century, what does a Jewish wedding feast look like? Because everybody that's not us in the pages, in the audience of this, already had an inbred understanding of what that was, because that's what they just did in their culture. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? They just get it. We don't readily get it all the time, especially because our 21st century American weddings are very different. So, with that understood, I think what this is talking about here is... The marriage feast is also dealing with the idea of the kingdom of God and entrance into it in general, not specific. Not a specific feast, exactly. Yes. Now, there's some difficulties with that understanding because the question you have to ask yourself is, well, how did the guy get in? Yeah. And now he's being taken out. Well, and also, I thought we said before that the kingdom of... Heaven was the millennial 
ring? I believe yeah. so, yeah. yes. Yeah. So it's an earthly thing, not something that's taking place in heaven. Yes. Which yes. is different than... So that's because different the marriage than, supper of the Lamb takes place in heaven. Yes. That's it's, after the millennium. That's different than what? The kingdom is different than? Heaven. Salvation. Salvation. Yes. That's important to understand. Because there'll be plenty of people on earth at the time. Say it one more time. There'll be plenty of people on earth at the time that are not saved. Yes, there will be. Yeah. But the question is, is whether or not they're responding. Yeah. And we have to ask ourselves, is the response faith? Or is the response something else? It must be something else because an evil or good were invited. Okay. But if, they, if he did not put his robe on, mm -hmm. which... I want to interpret. Okay, but, um, apparently, <laughs> the robe. Those are that's the like almost the robe of salvation. It's our. This works. Is it? Well, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does everybody see how something that we would commonly read through in our yearly reading plan is not easy? No. Yeah. Right. No. Right. There's a lot of thought and meditation and consideration that goes into this and research of the history and the background and the culture. What is Jesus talking about? Why is he telling it to these people? Yeah. I mean, what is the point that he's getting at here of the whole parable? What's the main point? Well, to me, the, the, the first thing that stands out is God's patience. Okay. His love that he has for, for mankind. I mean, his patience and the ability to... Invite, 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 and yet, and people can flat out take that away or just reject it. But he invites again after that, or he kills them, and you know, there's all that stuff in there. But to me, that's the first thing that stands out. And then the other thing is that it is our responsibility to put that robe on, and it's our responsibility to come to the wedding. Okay. Now, that guy, one guy was kicked out because he didn't have a robe, but then he invites the next bunch of people, and did they have? Did they go home and get the robe? No. no the king provides the robes for them, culturally speaking. Here's the thing. This is the reason why I want you guys, anytime you're looking at a parable or a teaching of Jesus, recognize the curve, recognize the turn, recognize where it elbows, okay? Verse 8, then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who are invited were not worthy, Okay? What we need to do in our minds is draw a line. And here's the reason why. That's a done deal. Obviously, the invitation was sent out to who? Jews. And they responded by being too busy or killing the messengers, which we have 39 books to testify to this point. And notice that deals with the idea of how the Pharisees figure into this. Because by rejecting the invitation, here's your lot. Here's the consequences. Here's what's going to come out of this. But whenever there is now a gathering together and a new sending out together, anybody that you find, now we're dealing with a different situation. Same feast waiting to happen. Same king. Different situation. And so when you have somebody who responded to the invitation and shows up but didn't put on the garments... <clears throat> You have to separate that from the initial call that went out to the Jewish people and they said, I'd rather kill the messenger than respond and party. Everybody see that? You have to separate that. Does that make sense? 
So he showed up. He was there. He responded to it. Mm-hmm. In part. Mm-hmm. But not completely. Right. So he's in the feast because he responded, yes? But notice the reason why he was bound hand and foot and cast out is because he failed to put on the garment that was given to him. Which represents. Well, let's 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 answer the question. Did he get in? Yes. He did. So. so it's not what? It's not a failure to respond to the invitation, is it? No. No, he responded to the invitation. So that if he didn't respond to the invitation, he would have never got there. Everybody see that? Yeah. Remember. The failure to respond to the invitation in 2 through 8 led to them not even showing up. We don't care if the food's cold. We don't care what you've prepared. we got stuff to do. Get out of my way. Stop holding me up. But he didn't want to have to do any work himself. He just wanted to show up and didn't want to have to do, like, put on the robe and didn't want to have to do anything. Why would we conclude? I'm I'm playing devil's advocate with you, okay? Because I love when people are throwing out what they think. Why would you conclude that works are involved in this? Um, Where is it found in the text? And the only reason why I say that is because we're making assumptions. He had to put on the robe. And then we turn to we turn to Revelation 19 and we say, Ha, see, the robes of white are the righteousnesses of the saints. It's plural righteousness. It's their works. Ha, ha. I'm comparing scripture with scripture. And we're, all of a sudden we're out of control. Because we know a couple of verses here that sound like they might jive together. Because you can say... Sure, like, I'll believe in God and then, like, do nothing and not actually, like, put any effort into it or try. And it doesn't necessarily mean works. It could mean just the fact that you don't, like... So you're a hobo for not, Jesus? Is that not, what you're saying? Yeah, pretty much. He's not, like, he's not doing anything. He didn't take the step himself to ask for salvation. Okay. He just, he's just like, all right, whatever. You're saying things he doesn't mean. Yeah, like, just... I'll, I'll come for the food. I don't care. <laughs> You're trying to bail your daughter out, aren't you? A little bit. It's good. <laughs> Isn't it good to struggle with Scripture? Yeah. Okay, so this wailing and this outer darkness yeah. might not be hell. No. Because we talked about that earlier, this outer darkness. It's I up. love it. When you yeah. said that, three or four people looked my way to see what I was saying. They what? They, three or four people looked my way like, is it hell? No. Because that's how we got started on this. Whole I thing. don't believe that it is hell. No, no. no. I, I think he, what it he is, is there, but he, I mean, <clears throat> I, what, what, what I'm th- what I'm seeing here is the fact that he was called. He responded, <clears throat> but after his response, he walked into the the main entrance. He accepted. He he, he accepted the call. Let's back up one second. He had already accepted the call. That's why. He, that's how he got there. That's okay. how you have to have accepted the call to be able to even enter in the main door. Right. In fact, Jesus even said, "You know, you will not see the kingdom of God so unless you're born again." Garment on to go in, or they would have not let him in. He rejected right? the garment. Not necessarily. The if the king is providing the garments, when where would you have picked up your garment? At the feast. Yeah, you picked up your garment at the feast. As as you entered the door, you you were given a robe. And here's the thing. We don't even know that for sure. What we know is the man responded and he's there. Yeah. Yeah. The friction he has is that he wasn't dressed accordingly as someone who was there. 
And so notice the problem wasn't, did he respond or not to the invitation? He responded. That's a done deal. He responded, and he's there. I think what, what, what the problem here is more than anything else, he responded. And then for whatever way, you go back to the parable of the sower and the seeds. Mm-hmm. Some respond, but but the, their, their seed landed on the hard ground. And they sprung up momentarily, and then they just withered away. He could be that person. One parable at a time. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, we're looking at, at Scripture to Scripture. So here's, here's a question real quick. In verse 9, when it begins the new part to go out, is there going to be anybody that's in the kingdom of God that's not a believer in Jesus Christ? Yes. No. Well, I thought we said it was on the earth. Is there going to be anyone who is in the kingdom of God who is not? Can an unbeliever be a citizen of the kingdom? No. It's impossible. Okay. Jesus Christ is your entrance into it. There's only one way by which we must be saved. Okay. But here's the thing: once you're a saved individual, you're always saved. You can never be unsaved. Would it not make sense that to go out into the main highways, as many as you find there, invite them to the wedding feast, into the streets, they gathered all that were both good and evil? You think that includes you and me? Okay. So here's a question. If we're talking about no longer dealing with the people that were invited, and instead the king is going to destroy their city, which seems to have happened in 70 AD with the Romans, and disperse the Jews all over the world. And why did he disperse them and discipline in that way? Because they killed their Christ. That's the reason why. They had all the knowledge in the world to accept their Messiah and bring the kingdom in at that moment. They much would have done other things, and instead they killed their Savior. So now what happens? The, the, the message disperses all over the world, and now there's going to be all kinds of people that are going to be sitting at the feast. That's so, why they call them Christ killers in Germany. Yeah, which involves you and me. So, so, yes, saying, exactly. so saying that they invited the bad as well as the good is really just showing that it doesn't matter like how good or bad of a person you were because the people that had salvation would already be there. So exactly. These are, all of the people, and it's not about what you're doing. So it's not saying, invite these people and these people. It's saying, it doesn't matter. It's just basically saying, it doesn't matter what they do. Just go invite everybody. Yes. Now, notice that. Riff-raff or not. Okay? Now, here's the question. Can you receive a garment without accepting the invitation? No. No. no because no. who supplies the garments? The king. Once the king. So once you accept the invitation, you're now given a garment to wear. Will you wear the garment? Because that makes all the difference about whether or not you get to participate in this joyous occasion. What's the garment? So wearing, so wearing the garment would be. Don't worry about what the garment is. Think about where it falls. But the guy didn't wear it. The guy didn't wear it, and so he didn't get to participate in the celebration, did he? No. Well, he was in the darkness outside of the celebration hall. Right. That was the. He got to stand outside the door and look in. I got one question, Jim. Go for it. Now, the marriage feast of the Lamb takes place after the the Bema judgment, right? Mm -hmm. So as we look at that, go back into (coughs) Corinthians, where where it talks about building our... our, First Corinthians 3. Look at there and see every, every work that we do will be tested. 
and some will suffer loss. Maybe he said suffer loss. Now think about this when you connect the idea of rewards. We're over our time, but just think about this for just a second. Whenever we do works that merit rewards from the Lord, are they our works or the Spirit's works? Spirit's works. Isn't that interesting? The works that we do that are worth rewarding before God's eyes are the works that he gives us to do, that he prepares us to do, that he endows us to do, the spiritual gift that he gives us to exercise. Our job is to steward that and to remain in the vine. To not separate. Notice, it's all his works. And he's going to reward his works that he does through us should we get out of his way and let him work. But you can still decide, no, I'm not doing that. Exactly. And, that's- mm-hmm. and you could pro- you might end up in a situation where you have nothing to wear at the wedding feast and so therefore you can't stay. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean you get kicked out into the lake of fire? No. 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 That means you're standing outside the classroom door looking in going, when you're all going to be done, it's past time. <laughs> that's what it means. Right? And we're in here having it I'm sorry, we're studying the Bible here, right? But but you see what I'm saying? Can I have my lovely wife comment on something that you put you Yeah, please. Please. Um when I was reading through some of these things, one of the things I thought was interesting was that when there was going to be this wedding feast, there really wasn't a date set. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I read that too. Yeah. And the father told the son, okay, now it's time for the feast. Mm-hmm. Go get your bride. Yeah. And the bride didn't have any idea what when time it was or still, when, when it was ready. Yeah. ready all the time. Yeah. yeah. Notice yeah. that it's been prepared for quite a while. We're just waiting for the, the call, the execution. And it was the father that determined the call. Not yes. Or the bride. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that, I thought that no was one knows the day or hour except the father. It's yeah. very interesting. And that's Matthew 24, which I believe... A lot of people would disagree with me. I believe that Jesus is talking about the rapture there in Matthew 24. Oh, I think so too. No one knows the day or hour. We know when the tribulation is going to happen. It's seven years. But the rapture, no one knows. And we know it's triggered by the the rapture. Yes. The tribulation is triggered by the rapture. So as soon as that comes, then that whole period starts. Let's pray. Um, If you have any questions about this, we'll talk about them next week. But then we're going to move on to our next section. Uh, What is it? Matthew 25. We're going to look at that when we pick up next Sunday. So let's take a moment. Let's pray. Father, I pray that our minds and our hearts are um, excited about these things and that we would study more intently, Father, and we would seek to have your word added to us. Uh, Father, help us to see the seriousness of sin and our willful participation in it. And I pray that these passages will guard us, Lord, from making foolish mistakes. Uh, Thank you, God, for the robes that you've given us to wear. I pray, God, that we would wear them. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody.